Greetings, friends. Welcome back to today's very special Film Alchemist podcast. Uh, today we'll be covering the brand new, I guess at this point it's not brand new, it's old as hell, but it's brand new to us, Saint Maud. Finally, she has reached the people. We were so excited to talk about Saint Maud today. Even more excited to be joined by one of our favorite uh, people, friends, and co-host, Carmelita Valdez McCoy. Uh, but before the show starts, we wanted to do a quick couple seconds of business here. Please take a second wherever you find the podcast. Please, right now, do it now. Uh, I bended the knee and asked for your help. Please leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you find us. Uh, a couple cents on why you like the show. Five-star helps us defeat the algorithmic dark overlords and uh, find more people to bring into the show. And we appreciate those of you who've been doing that. Please find us on all the social media you're on. You can email the show filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. That's a great way to let us know what you'd like us covered, uh, especially these new flicks. We're doing a lot more of that. Host you or guest host you'd like us to try to reach out and get on the show. Uh, a theme for a month, a double feature, anything you got, we want to hear about it. In fact, we've already been compiling a list with some of the cool suggestions we've got. So keep it up, guys. Thank you very much. Also, you may be watching this video here on YouTube. Uh, our YouTube channel is called Film Alchemist. Please be sure to subscribe and let everyone know uh, to come join us, man. Come join us. All right. Without the business out of the way. Again, today we are covering the new to the people. It's been out for a long time. Uh, St. Maud got pushed by the pandemic. Spoiler alert. I love this movie. I thought it was absolutely worth the wait. The only thing that made it better is that we were fortunate enough to have Carmelita Valdez McCoy uh, joining us today. Again, one of our favorite people. Absolutely a delight to get to finally see this movie and to get to share uh, our thoughts with Carmelita. And now with you guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Thank you very much. Joining us tonight to discuss the long-awaited uh, Saint Maud, we are joined by friend and returning host Carmelita. Welcome back. Hello, Carmelita Valdez McCoy. Sorry, all three names. I forgot to do the proper Queen's introduction. So many names. So oh, many dick. names. <laughs> and if you throw a Saint on there, now you're like double layer baseball. Right? <laughs> All right, guys, uh, I'm so excited that you decided to join us tonight, Carmelita. Actually, we've also never had you and Alex on the same pod, so we'll see what kind of crazy chaos energy. I know. Right? It's a big deal. There was a before. And we got to and watch St. Maude. Yeah, right? All right, guys, so this movie has been tied up for a long time. We did, I actually looked at it, we did a trailer reaction on this video on YouTube, what feels like 15 years ago. Uh, and before that, there were all the Sundance people who were like, boom, you haven't seen St. Maud? I'm sorry, they are the mountains. So that started like a long time before. Then we got the trailer. We thought it was coming. The global pandemic hit, and it kept getting pushed to eternity. Now, finally, we have gotten to see St. Maud. So I figured the first place we could start, was it worth the wait? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. We'll start with Carmelita. Yeah, was it sorry, worth the I, wait? I, I was gonna let the you know ladies first, but yeah, one thousand percent. Absolutely worth the wait. Walk me through your initial thoughts on the film, Carmelita. 
Oh, what were you man. walking I mean, away this thinking? Is, something like this is right up my alley. Mm-hmm. You've got all this like macabre Catholic mysticism and just eccentric people and it's dark and you don't like, you know, the whole what's real, what's not real. All of that is just, oh, speaks to me. (laughs) My first, my first guest appearance on the film Alchemist was to talk about the movie Carrie. Oh, that's right. So it's so fitting that we're talking about this movie because it feels almost like a prequel to Carrie. Little kismet. It is Carrie-like in a lot of ways, actually. That's a really good analog. I know Alex had actually texted me and we he uh, that St. Maud is Griffey porn, and I was like, that is a very apt way because it really does have all the checkboxes of things that I'm looking I mean, for it's in my just like I was actually I was thinking maybe Amy would find out your pseudonym was actually Rose Glass. <laughs> and he's like you do that you're chucks and locks me out of the house no. oh sorry Amy. gotta get out of the house real quick and then you like go direct a couple of scenes for saint mod that's why it's taken so long the trailer was actually all you had shot at that point and the rest of the movie was shot over the last year uh yeah i mean this is basically just like somebody walking around doing like a virtuosity thing with griffy's brain and turning it into a, turning it's it into so a real true thing. I mean, I, it's weird because the movie is at least 98% joyless, right? Maybe totally. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's a couple moments of joy, but I feel like they're pretty false at best. But yeah, it's weird because like that movie I watch and I just have a giant smile on my face. I was <laughs> so enamored with this film because I had heard a lot of mixed reviews. Mm-hmm. And I even was starting to read on Twitter. I read a guy who just legitimately posted. He's like, you know what? Fuck St. Maud. Like, I'm not interested anymore. If I get to it, I get to it. Because they were mad about the first they had to go to theater for three weeks and that kind of stupid shit that we're still playing with all the time. And I had heard a lot of people talking trash about the third act and there wasn't enough horror and this and that. I was watching it maybe more critical than normal and I couldn't really find the flaw. If I had a flaw in the movie, and I guess maybe somewhere we can start, I do think that... um, Stephanie, is that her name? The old lady's character. Was it Stephanie? Amanda. Yeah. Amanda. Amanda. Other basic white lady name. Amanda. Yeah, I was going to say, you like, I thought Karen, Amanda Stephanie was Amanda. going to be more of a foil, right? I thought she was going to be more involved in this journey to save her soul with Maud and absolutely wasn't. Um, but by the end yeah. of the movie, I don't know if that's a critique. This is a tight 85. So actually, I'm what not, I'm going to do. Yeah, I'm not sure. Carmelita. Where would you like to start on this movie? There's a lot to go into. There is so much to go into. (laughs) So, I mean, just starting from the top, like, Mm -hmm. you know, we get an opening scene where Maude is in the bathroom and there's blood and we, we don't, it's very dark. The colors are all very muddy, which is kind of the palette for the whole movie. Yeah, uh, but you're not just really sure what you're not black. At. That's the entire palette of the movie. There's a light on in the room next door. That's the lighting yes. scheme for this movie. It's that video game screen when you're like, "Hey, how how light, how bright do you need this?" To like, <laughs> that's like the color palette for the movie. Resident <laughs> Evil's definitely trying to make me shit my pants. Lighting for sure. <laughs> I relate. There's not usually this much light in my apartment. I turn yeah. on the light so you could see me. So normally, this would be like pitch black in here. Yeah. 
you know, but it's, it's one of those, like at first I wasn't sure, is she, is this a flashback or mm. is this like a future event that we're going to work our way back to? And then we, you know, we kind of open with Maude and her inner dialogue. Like how quickly did you figure out that Maude was a monster? I think what I kind of sussed out, right? Because as I remember the opening, right? Because I saw, oh, fuck, there's a dead body. That's usually a bad start. Usually. And it looked like it was, because it kind of had a morgue-like vibe, right? It's funny that you said she was in an apartment or what, because to me it looked very like a morgue, right? Like a clinical setting. Mm-hmm. And then, so you see the blood dripping on the ground. It's very beautiful. But then you see just her fucking bloody hands. I think even before we really see her face, and she's cowering yeah. in the corner. So the idea being, and I think they show, because this is one of those unfolding plots throughout the film, where there's, oh my God, this little innocent, small, cowering creature might have fucked this person up and murdered them, right? Something I wanted to ask you, because it's a motif they came back to, I'll throw this over to you, Alex. What the fuck did she see on the ceiling, right? Because it has kind of that edge lighting where you're like, oh, that's the, uh, you know, call to God, right? What yeah. the fuck was moving? Because I was like, is that a bug or water? I thought it was when I, I mean, when I started, when the, the movie started, I thought it was blood dripping off the ceiling. Yeah. I'm like, damn, this girl got to work. My God. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck kind of Nightmare on Elm Street shit did she do? <laughs> My God. She really tapped this guy to strikes. But, um, <laughs> if that um, is how it happened and they left that out, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> Minus one star. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like to me, it's always just anytime someone's, especially once you get through the whole movie. I guess for me, anytime someone's looking up into the heavens in this movie, I'm like, definitely of some sort of godliness, if not devilness. Who knows? But there's some sort of religious experience happening to my like to Carmelita's point about like when she became a monster. Like pretty much anytime someone goes to vo praying to God in movies is my like clue like. Person is not right in the head, which is weird. Like, it's not an upbringing thing, but I'm just like, that person is not supposed to be praying to God like that. It's also like a super casual conversation, like not over good. coffee during Friends. Over like <laughs> yeah, no, God, the more you, you are today? like uh, talking to God like he's your aunt on Facebook. Yeah, exactly. Red flags. Um, yeah. Yeah, right. I, this is the thing, though. I don't know that what I would have settled because I think the movie leaves you a little wiggle room, right? Mm hmm. Mm. I think the moment to me that I was like, oh, something is very wrong is when she tried to chase away the prostitute. If I'm being honest, I think up until then I could have given you, all right, she's just trying to get back on her feet. Again, I'm also not, like if I found my wife had a journal where she wrote to God, I would be like, ooh, boy, (laughs) lifestyle changes, right? But I think, honestly, the prostitute moment was the hinge. I would like to get back to Carmelita, though, for that, that opening glob or bug or whatever on the ceiling did you what did that signify to you so that to me looked like a beetle that's what i thought too i thought it was some kind of comes back later and there is symbolic significance to the beetle in various religions the beetle has significance i forget (laughs) i'm trying to remember i remember there was like a scarab in egypt (laughs) There was, but yeah. yeah, even in Christianity and in, in across a lot of religions, the beetle has religious significance. Oh, it's about like hard work and like uh, dedication, devotion. It symbolizes all that stuff. 
So, like, this movie is littered with all of these little details that the part of me that loves reading up about, like, bizarre religious stuff is just, mm. I just eat it up. Yeah. I mean, I think I that's that. the, the funny thing is because you start finding one of the things that I thought was initially very strange about the film, right? So she obviously has, like, to Alex's point, like a very business casual relationship with God, right? <laughs> Something along the lines of, it's pretty cool that you let me have this shitty job, but I thought there'd be more, right? That's kind of where she's starting. Yeah. I think one of the first times when you're like, oh, something very extra is going on is when um, her relationship with God is so much more orgasmic Yeah. than I think I've seen in a lot of movies. Not that kind of orgasmic, at least. Like no, like felt... exactly, like like, but better than orgasmic, right? Like somehow honest, like, your whole every ecstasy, cell is orgasmic. I did orgasmic. not find ecstasy on her face. Like she seemed like she was. It was like I mean, well, as we find out, it seemed like the right. ecstasy you get from like BDSM, like that kind of stuff. I've watched a lot <laughs> of uh, this show on Netflix called Bonding and the show Billions. So like. I feel like I've had a lot of information and put in my brain on the BDSM community at this point. That's like what I saw on her face a lot whenever she would have those like spells. It's just like, oh, wow. She's like got this like hot pain going. Yeah. All of this is like it's all Catholic mysticism, like all Catholic guilt. Saints have, you know, there's all these stories of saints who had mortification of the flesh, flogging themselves, hair shirts. All kinds of physical pain. <laughs> no, it's I true. think that one is the creepiest. Yeah, gross. Saints <laughs> levitating. Stories of saints levitating by location, going into ecstasies, and they describe it like a trance-like state. And sometimes it's body sensations and visual things that they can see, hearing the voice of God, hearing angels, hearing saints. Like all, like if you want to read some really bizarro stuff, read about the lives <laughs> of Catholic saints. It's wild. <laughs> It's the Jersey Shore of their age. Those guys partied like rock stars and they paid for it. That's what happened. But yeah. So I thought it was really cool they incorporated this stuff, you know, because yes. she's, yeah. she's this overzealous convert and she's convinced herself that she's on this path to saintliness, that God has in store for her some great reward, some master purpose. And yeah. so she's acting out all of these things that you would expect from a beyond holy person. Right, and that's the that's the trick, though, that I think kind of works, right, when you kind of pair it with the psychosis journey, is that she's not doing it in the process of an organized religion, right? So she's elevating herself in importance right along that, right? That I can't have anyone between me and God. I think the physical manifestation, though, is so much different than I've seen, right? Because we've seen a lot. By the end of the movie, it starts playing almost like an exorcism film. Yes. And we've seen that ad nauseum, right? But the idea of... I need so much physical sensation from my relationship with God, right? Like there's the moment when she discovers her path is going to be saving Amanda, Amanda's soul. Yes. I, I keep wanting to say Stephanie, Amanda's soul, right? <laughs> and she is fucking literally grabbing the stairs and like groping it in her face. And the she collapses on the floor. Oh, the vipers, the holy vipers. She is losing her mind. And the weirdness of, because this is something that we see throughout is this, the physical world is very difficult for Maude in this film, right? But I think that that extra physical intimacy in her, her holy mission 
I think maybe that's one of the early red flags, right? That there's something, there's something even more sinister going on. I don't know if that's the right word. How'd you feel about that, Carmelita? No, absolutely. It's, it's like it becomes. You start to get that feeling like this isn't just about like she wants to have religion in her life or she wants to have a relationship with God. Like she wants a relationship yeah. with God. She's thirsty. She wants that. Like, she is. <laughs> and she, she's completely isolated. She has no friends. And we see yeah. later in the movie as when she feels like maybe God hasn't come through on his end of the bargain in terms of the reward she was expecting. And she goes to the bar to hook up. Mm, it's yeah. like, she's always chasing some kind of a connection, some kind of intimacy. She's like, she's looking for the physical, whether yeah. it's from this like ascetic, really crazy mystical experience through religion or whether it's, picking up some dude for casual sex at the bar like it she needs she has a lot of needs that she doesn't know how to meet and everything is like the pendulum swings but yeah. always yeah. trying to catch that need interesting yeah she has this it's because it's interesting like she has all these needs and yet she and she decides to do a job that essentially values her simply because of that like that's the kind of like being an at stay at home nurse is literally a beck and call job, so yeah, it's interesting because the pendulum swings so hard into the direction of like what she's trying to do, which is heal somebody, not necessarily like only in the nursing sense, but also in some sort of spiritual way as well. That it's interesting when it swings the other way, like you were saying, she goes buck wild in the other direction, like. Yeah. Insane, insane levels of the other direction. And then that middle area that she's trying to find the entire movie is just elusive. Well, there's yeah. the the bit of because that job is actually seemingly saintly, right? Helping yeah. ease someone's pain as they're on their way out. Right. It's a pretty thankless, fucking miserable job because, you know, your patient is going to go and they're in tremendous pain. Right. So I think the idea that she has a job that seemingly is following the tenets of Christianity, right? But there's also a part of Maud, too, that her journey is so much more... I think it's one of those things we kind of brush off, but I think a lot of religious experiences come from these sources of pain and trauma. Yeah. And yeah. so the the movie does a pretty great job of this, right? There's never that scene where Maud breaks down and is like, you don't remember what happened to me on May 8th. 5 p.m. Like a lot of movies do that. And it's like, here's my official backstory. And this one just kind of paints in broad strokes, right? Like they even have the scene at the end when she's kind of fully assumed how she's going to go, right? And her friend is like, we should have helped you sooner. It wasn't your fault. You know it wasn't your fault. And as she starts to talk about it, her fucking audio drops out and the music kind of swells a little bit. Because they're telling us it's not fucking important the details of what happened. We're seeing the leftovers of a human being, right? And we get to fill in, right, that, oh, she was at the bars probably chasing those quick fixes a lot. Uh, she's probably had trouble finding employment. So you start to see some of this. And you, then all of a sudden, so I was telling my wife, I think the, the thing I like about these movies, I, I think religion is just so fucking intense and scary to me, period, right? 
because I was like, it, it, to me, it's it's such a great place for horror because it's not a far leap from. Because I was like, what's the difference between your aunt at dinner telling me that God actually talks to her and tells her what job to take, versus if you see a guy wearing you know paper bags on his feet do that on the subway, you're like, oh God, I gotta get out of here, right? Like, what is the fucking line? And so I think the people that start, they'll just, they openly believe in something that we all know is false, right? Like religion has kind of a mental illness aspect to it. And so this movie so brilliantly shows why something like that becomes so just instantly appealing and gratifying. Well, yeah, you're, it's like Carmelita was saying, you're leaned on, you're needed. The need of, the need of a caregiver is so strong and like, like my, uh, like, some of my family, like my um, grandparents have done had to do hospice care, like the need to have somebody present, just mm-hmm. present, not necessarily like even constantly administering painkillers, constantly cooking anything, just present and aware and be nearby in case something happens is like in and of itself is fascinating. It's almost it's almost kind of crippling, like emotionally in a lot of ways, because yeah the lean you have to put on that person becomes so intense. It's uh, I think that's the thing that's kind of interesting about the situation with Amanda and Maud is that you like Amanda knows she needs Maud because quite frankly, like she can't get around herself, but every step of the way, like in the very beginning when Maud tries to help her, she's like, I can do it myself. She wheels herself out of the room herself, that kind of stuff. Like it's very specific. And like, a lot of it goes to the fact that she's a proud woman. Of course, she's a famous person. Like there's a lot of the pride that comes with it, but I think it's coming to grips with the knowledge of your needs is what really puts Amanda in the crosshairs of this, like need to cleanse her soul, so to speak from Maud's perspective. It's, it's really fascinating. The psychology, the very beginning, because again, like, Amanda is so Amanda is so single minded and it feels like she like obviously she's terminal. She knows she's going to die. But like the willingness to kind of like not take care of herself, like constantly smoking. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but I loved how in every single scene, almost every shot she's in, she is lighting a cigarette. I think that goes to Griffey's point about how there is no lighting in the movie. But it still is a very cool motif. Every time she lights the lighter, you're like, ah, you're turning away like Vin Diesel in Pitch Black. Sunburst. It's a really cool juxtaposition between yeah. Maude and Amanda because Amanda is all about the worldliness. Yeah. She's all about, you know, she 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 wants to smoke and she wants to drink and she wants to have her friends and she wants to have sex and she wants to throw a party and she wants all of the worldly things before she dies. And Maude yeah. is hell-bent on you know, this otherworldly next afterlife kind of reward thing. Yeah. And they're, they're diametrically opposed. Yeah. I think one of the things I thought was really interesting, the moment that I decided like, Oh wow. Maud's kind of a monster was when she was, she was kind of having that, that dialogue. She's monologuing about how, you know, it's very noble, you know, to be a hospice nurse and take care of people you know, that's noble. And she's kind of poo-pooing it, you know, but she's going to yeah. save the soul. How awesome is that? And it's, it's that moment where I'm like, wow, like Maude really doesn't give a shit 
about <laughs> taking care of other people. She's not in this to take care of Amanda or anyone else. She wants her no. reward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah she well, also, like you don't solution. know which soul she's targeting. Right? Exactly. <laughs> and it's, you know, the person who's doing good for all the wrong reasons is just as dangerous as the person who's yeah. intending to do harm. Yeah. It is this sort of weird, weird, like soul collecting she's doing throughout the movie. Yeah. It's yeah. I just, I just, I just thought of that. That is that well, like, is yeah, like Amanda's soul will be like the cloak <laughs> she hides under to try to Trojan horse her way into heaven. Like, Hey, it's just right. me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But I mean, think of this though. Right. Cause I thought that was really funny the way you said they're diametrically opposed. So I think in a weird way, they're so similar, right? The difference is, is that Amanda has so embraced what it is. And Amanda's, because this is, I was telling, uh, I know Alex might have heard this, but I used to be a bouncer at a bar. And we were at the bottom of, like, these tons you? of cement steps, right? And there was always this guy that'd roll up, and he was about two feet tall. His body was twisted and gnarled, right? He had all these birth defects. And he'd roll up in this chair and be like, Come fucking get me. And he'd like yell at me. And I'm like, God damn it. All right, hold on. I'm coming. So like me and another bouncer would go up and someone would carry him down the stairs like a baby. Right. Because he was just a really small little guy. And yeah. we'd have to carry his like 600 pound wheelchair, like two of us down these fucking steps. And I was like, God damn it. Well, I looked over and this guy has these things we sell called chug mugs right at this bar. And for 75 cents, you can get 24 ounces of beer for $1.25. You get a mixed drink. And so this guy is shit face drunk and just hammering these giant cups that are almost as big as he is. And I remember I had just started. I've only been there a little bit. And I went up to the bartender and I was just like, hey, man, you got to cut this guy off. Look at him. And I was like, he's still got to drive home later. Like, what the fuck are you doing? You're going to kill him. And it is one of these like life changing philosophy moments as the bartender, my good friend derail looks at me and he just goes, if there's ever a guy on planet Earth that needs to be overserved." It's that fella. And I just went, <laughs> yeah, you know what? Sure. <laughs> like, Let him have it. You know what I mean? And it's like, he's an adult. He came there for a reason. Like, he knew he just wanted to get fucked up. You know, life had dealt him a hand. And he's like, hey, I'm still having fun. And and it's, I think that's a little bit where Amanda is, right? Is that, mm -hmm. fuck it. This is, why wouldn't I smoke? Why wouldn't I drink? Why wouldn't I have sex, right? And so I think she's so embracing the, the kind of physical, right? Whereas Maude was doing that and we even see the scene right when Maud regresses back to probably her normal self what is she doing drinking fucking right they're the same but she's trying yeah. to repress right and so Do you I think, think that's her normal that's self you think that's the real Maud? no i mean i think that's the 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 laid bare harm right that's the exposed nerve the i don't have a purpose to hide myself from the sadness I think the religious right, bullshit you, and the soul is to protect her. Right. Are you saying that though this is like the mod that was whatever her real name was? No, no, like no. I think before, before Mod fucking Mortal combated that corpse at the start of the movie, she was probably a very normal person, right? I right. think after that, I think she is just exposed trauma. And so whether that be a drink or a smoke or a really awkward hand job. That's what she's doing, right? She's just jumping from moment to moment to not live in what she did. So, yeah, I would say at this point in the movie, that's probably a more honest mod than I am the savior of your soul. Like, I'm a, a good person mod, right? I think I think at that point, she's missing, like, the third pillar, right? She's either completely fake or completely just trying to get a fix to cover, right? So I don't know that mm. either is 
necessarily a true version of her. Right. That's a good point. I think the one at the bar is probably closer, though. Interesting. Because, see, I feel like the version of her that I don't think anybody. To me, the escape is not religion. To escape your horrible, like, let's say the real version of her is the woman at the bar who's just, like, pounding back drinks and, like, never seen this before, really, but, like, hardcore projectile vomiting, which was kind of amazing, by the way. Oh, I've seen uh, that one many I mean, times. I've, <laughs> I mean, I've seen it, but more just like, oh, wait, I've actually seen you do it. Never mind. <laughs> at your wedding. No, I was actually at, a, it was at another bar. We uh, up wow. in here. You got kicked out of so the bar So many. Take, take your pick. <laughs> Um, to me, like the escape for that kind of thing can't be religion. Like, like to Carmelita's point, swinging the pendulum the other way is religion, but it can't be the escape. So to me, like wherever the middle is for mod, there's always some facet of Catholicism or some sort of, some sort of Christian leaning lifestyle in mods life. I think the difference is, is that she doesn't have a middle. So the only aspects we're right. seeing are just the middle. Whoever that, whoever she was when she was in the middle, evaporated. Due it to died some... on the table that day with that lady, probably. Yes, or whoever. I would say that's probably was. a fair assessment. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like we were saying, right? That's the this is the uh, the HJ for your soul, right? It's not the I'm being a good Christian. It's that I can be a better Christian than everyone else and drag fucking Amanda's ass along with me. H- that's what it's it is chicken soup for the soul by the yeah. way well my version would be the hj for the soul right <laughs> the hj and spiral beer for the soul right like you're having a rough day but no because like here's a great scene that like really struck me right is when she peeps in and sees uh amanda and her dancing around right yeah. and i love that the extra little bit right of amanda sees the prostitute kind of scampering right and they're both in their sexy outfit she has her wig on so you kind of know already she's bald. She's changing herself a little bit to be more what she wants, right? And there's a falseness to the the bargain inherently, I guess, right? But right. that moment when Maud watches Amanda be sad, that she realizes that this is fleeting or something's different or this is nearing the end. And instead of feeling sorry for her, when Maud starts yelling at the prostitute, don't come back, she's at a fragile moment. That's not about protecting her from that moment. That is a, I have found the crack in the armor and I can force your ass out. Right? Mm -hmm. So I can get back to the, whatever the fuck she thinks is her plan. I don't know if you guys think there was a plan between the scissoring and, well, like the actual murder scissoring, right? Or the, like, they're just (laughs) friends who read William Blake together. That came out wrong. That was absolutely (laughs) not intended. But maybe that was a plan too. I don't know. I don't What's know great if, is like, if you're listening to this on like Spotify or Apple podcasts, like we're, Griffey said that. And I looked down at Carmelita's screen and I was like, she knows I was doing the uncle Joey cut it out <laughs> fingers. So everyone knows. Oh my God. And my screen just, just froze at the wrong that makes, position. That makes it worse. That you makes it worse this. when I do the uncle Joey fingers. <laughs> so Carmelita, I'll let you take it from there. Save me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, that's actually a really a, a good segue. <laughs> One of the scenes that I love is the party scene when yes. uh, Amanda is kind of passive aggressively 
confronting Maude in front of this entire, all, you know, all the guests. Mm-hmm. And, and she, and yeah. she mentioned something about, are you jealous? And, yeah. you know, there is kind of a weird tension between them. Um, Amanda mentioning that Maude is attractive, more attractive than the previous. And um, earlier when Maude was going into her ecstasies, while they were praying and Amanda pretends to do the same and kind of that's right the sympathetic uh godgasm yeah like there's there's some tension there but Amanda calls her out on it and then proceeds to deliver the coup de grace when she says oh you know it's nothing's nothing something to the effect of nothing compares to Jesus's hard pulsing whatever and then you know mod slaps her yeah but there's well no because they even (laughs) there's a weird moment where you have to this is one of the first like did that really happen that way moments right so she starts dressing her down and she actually is like are you jealous or are you a bigot right and that's how she kind of starts it up mod's trying to just get out of the room right what happens is they she starts dressing her down right and as she leaves they start putting like a Mother Teresa bonnet on her. Yeah. yeah. And in my mind, I was like, is that something they just had handy? Would that really have been, would they really have just, just pounced on her? Yeah. But that's what I mean. Napkin. Even that was like one of those first, what I think maybe it didn't strike me in the moment, but by the end of the film, she is clearly imagining a lot of the events that occur. Yes. Right. Especially she when that. she takes oh, you an know action. What? I lied. Actually, Griffey, you might be onto something. Because (laughs) to be honest with, because like, here's the, because the clue for me is when Amanda, the line, when she says like, are you, what was it? Are you a, um, something or a bigot whatever the, yeah whatever the line is jealous or a bigot. Yeah. Are you jealous or a bit? Yeah. Like whatever the line is like to me and she's, she's a famous dancer. Like she has all these very different, like different friends. Like to me that speaks to this sort of like other level. Like it's the, like, that toxic level of wokeness some people have. So, and it maybe is even more so this sort of affront to the way Maud feels, which is this very pious belief system, this very pious, to the point where she feels positively orgasmic when she imagines the hand of God anywhere near her. So, like, yeah, that might be true. Griffey might be onto something. I think that this is the moment this might where you be see like, there. It might just be this. It's not necessarily imagined, but like the feeling she this like feeling she has, like the mockery is almost as um, the mockery is almost as uh, sensitive as as the like feeling of God's presence as well. The mockery of God itself might be just as strong. They they both are playing God, right? Amanda is taking this power. I am going to berate you in front of an audience, right? Because she could have just fired her ass that morning when she got the call. Totally. Hey, uh, Maude freaked the fuck out on me, right? But she wanted to dress her down there, right? This is Amanda's God complex. And this is challenging directly Maude's, right? The thing about the napkin I thought was weird, too, is because when she smacks the fuck out of her, right? Which I think all of us would like, that would feel good, right? Well, granted, she's like a sickly, dying old lady, but, like, she talks Still, some shit. Like, that would feel nice, matter. right? Yeah. To fucking lay a good smack on her. And then all of a sudden, what happens? The very next thing we see is Maude is doubled over in pain, right? So the way she feels God orgasmically when she's on the past, this is almost the the rebuke of that, that she right. knows she has veered from her path some way. 
So she's having one of these physical interactions with godlyhood again. So I don't know. It didn't strike me a lot in the moment, but the more we're talking, I was like, maybe that was the moment it starts sliding a little bit for her. Because then after that, she's fired. And now we're really mm-hmm. cut loose, right? Uh, but I wanted to bring up one more thing. One of the things I heard about this movie a lot is how very little horror there is in it, which I find this is one of those horror movie critiques I like. It's not scary enough. All right, whatever. I don't know if that means body <laughs> count or blood or murders or whatever, but I thought this movie was fucking horrifying, right? And they do a great job. It's kind of twofold, right? Like a good example of what I'm trying to say is there, there's just lingering dread in every scene. It's one of those movies where you're like, any fucking horrible thing could happen at any moment. Mm-hmm. And so you're on guard, right? Like a paranormal activity. In a way, this movie turns God into the the creepy demon that's going to knock your cabin door open in every shot, right? But the moment is when she sees her friend on the boardwalk. I think it might be right before the party scene, right? Joy. I was so scared yes. for Joy. And she calls her yeah. Katie. She's like, Katie. And we're like, <laughs> it's like just kind yeah. of a quick throwaway. But you're like, wait, what the fuck did she call her? And then she's like, oh, you're still nursing at, they know what happened. And they just brought, again, they don't do, yes, they know what happened on May the 8th, 5 p.m. You know, they're not, like, they don't do the scene, then they just leave it ambiguous. So then we're sitting there filling in all these, but, so I think that was one of the really cool things. This movie is just, I feel like it was one of those, every frame is just dripping with dread. Yeah. I thought mm-hmm. that was amazing. I don't know. I don't, I don't, would you guys think that's a fair criticism of this movie? <laughs> I don't. I, you know, here's the thing. (laughs) I have a pretty high threshold for being like legitimately terrified. Yeah. So if I was going to base my critique of every horror movie on whether or not I was, you know, sleeping with the lights on that night, scared of having (laughs) nightmares, then there are a lot of legitimate horror movies that would probably not qualify under that, you know, because I've watched a lot of horror yeah. I, you know, I, and I have a higher threshold, so I don't need to be up in the middle of the night with the lights on scared to leave the closet door open <laughs> for something to qualify as horror. That something is horrific. And the things that yeah. Maude is experiencing are horrific. And the, the threat that she poses to everyone around her, she, you know, like I said yeah. before, she's, a, she's a monster. She's like, She's this ticking time bomb, and there's horror in that. Even if it doesn't keep me up at night scared about it, it's it's horrific. I agree. I'm I am on the other hand a big wuss, so I <laughs> get scared really easily by everything. Um, but like, <laughs> I don't know. Actually, ever since we started doing this pod, really, ever since I met Griffey, I've stopped that a lot. Your horror movie so viewing has gone up like two thousand percent. But like, but in general, like I can say there's probably there's like one movie that I've had to keep the lights on in my entire life of watching like any kind of horror movie. But like, I agree, it's not. I don't think it's a fair critique at all because there are plenty of movies I've watched that are absolutely horrifying because they're uncomfortable because they expose things about ourselves. Like you could watch. I mean. Sorry, one of the most horrific movies I've ever watched is Kids. Good lord, yeah. that is the scariest you know, weird one, one of the scariest movies I've ever watched. Uh, I it's... remember a couple years ago, my mom wanted to watch Meet the Parents, and it was the first Horrifying. time I'd seen it in a couple years. 
And like when they light the gazebo on fire, I was like, I can't, I don't want to do this journey yeah, anymore. I don't want to watch so, it. Yeah, see, like that's the thing. So like, horrifying movies to that me. make me uncomfortable <laughs> that I find horrific. Like, yeah, there's movies that make me feel it feels too real. Like not even like the sense like, oh, it's like almost a documentary. It's not like watching Save It Private Ryan. It's yeah. like watching like my life. I already yeah. experienced my life. My life is fine, but horrifying in their its own regard. So like yeah. I don't want to watch that in a movie. Well, I don't know Saint if it's Maud. that I'm just in Indiana, but this one to me is the really scary shit, right? Yes. Just a, when a when a person just through trauma or other reason just no, is like I'm no longer like part of the societal contract, and they yeah. might just show up at my mm. house and scissor me. That's horrifying to me. That's really scary. That. <laughs> you know what I mean if you've seen the film. <laughs> but that, yeah, like that to me is scarier, right? Like the I ending agree. with her on the beach, which we'll get to later. That to me is way more scary than the shit I see in a lot of movies, right? That are hor- I think horror Absolutely. becomes like a marketing gimmick, and people really hold you to that. Yeah. Right. It's like, well, what it do you sucks. want? Do you want corn syrup or do you actually want to be scared? Yeah, like, I think it's an unfair thing we lob. Because like, I remember this happened to me when I saw The Witch the first time. Every trailer was like, this generation's the exorcist. Prepare, bring your diaper. You know what I mean? And like, you're like, yeah, like that's what I'm there for. And then I watched it. It's just kind of this quiet family drama. And there's a lot of dread. And, it, you know, it ends with like a big crescendo. But I remember coming out and being like, what the fuck? And I was so disappointed. And uh, I think I read on Twitter, someone's like, imagine seeing a movie where the first scene is someone's baby gets stolen and pounding, like, pounded into, like, a power shake. And you're like, that shit's not scary. (laughs) And it it is true, right? But then, like, you go back and you discover the film, and you're like, oh, I'm not watching it now as a horror movie. I'm watching it for what it is. And I think St. Maude will take a little beating for that, as it were. I I don't understand that. I thought this movie was horrifying. Um, There's plenty of terror involved in this movie. Absolutely, man. It's, uh, walk me through. So we got to do twofold, right? There's another thing I want to get to, right? Which is um, some of Maude's more pointed hallucinations. Um, we see this a lot with the spiral, right? Because I was noticing, I'm like, why do they keep showing sink drains? And then it, it picks up a little bit, right? After we've done that shot like four times, then we see the beer, right? And then at the end, above the beach in the ocean, we see probably the most prominent one. Um, what did you guys make of this this spiral? Was this just a her spiraling into madness, or did you pick up something more than that? Mm, I mean, the I'm one at tough. the very end is like the heavens opening for her to ascend. See, that's what I was wondering because the rest of the movie it's played as like uh, you're you're plunging down, right? And I was like, is that a gateway to hell? <laughs> right, the plunge down. I. Well, that was my she thing. She sees like, it as a holy light. Well, like I was thinking the whole time, because like I was saying, I'm dumb and don't know enough about religion, even <laughs> though I was raised Catholic. But yeah. like, are spirals a religious thing? Like, You were never spi- taught the story spirals- of being flushed to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> are spirals a religious iconography? Or like just in general, you could say that that spiral could be, I don't know, the Inferno. There is a Dante's Inferno reference there somewhere. I yeah. mean, it is an inverted triangle. Like, there are some religious aspects to it. So you could say that maybe that is Maud's world. That's the descent into Maud's world. And maybe the reverse of it is her believing she's ascending. But obviously, we'll get to that. 
Yeah, I, I have a thing on the end we'll do in a little bit. I, I thought some of the, the delusions in the film, though, were really pointed and used to interesting effects, right? Again, the spirals were kind of consistent. We see them, you know, and she's seeing herself in the mirror, whether she believes that or not. There's one where she has a nosebleed out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. uh, another, she's washing her hands. And then we see it at the bar when she's really spiraling, right? She just did the HJ, ah, spirals, and then just gets pushed into... <laughs> You know, just generic, chubby, bearded guy, right? And that ends horribly wrong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know. We she we, we talked before the pod. We're like, we, were, we talked right before we brought your Carmelita. We were talking. He's like, oh, man, it was so weird to see one of us in that movie getting murdered. Getting murdered. <laughs> we both just look exactly like that kind of guy. Just like, we're married. We don't We don't have married. sex we're anymore. Fine. We're married. We're like, yeah, oh, no. poor Phil Malcolm's <laughs> podcast listener almost got killed by Maude. Oh, good luck. Hey man, there are worse ways to go. But all right. It's a great scene. It's a really good scene. Uh that one is weird too, because when she just rolls over, because that's when we see the uh the chest cracking, right? Oh my god, that yeah, is that, fucking scary, by so the way. So that is something that is a legit. little more specific. Do you think she fucking actually cracked someone's chest open? If so, was that an accident? Was it on purpose? I thought that was the, 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 the details I know, right? She was an overworked mm. hospital employee at like the hospital from hell. Do you think she actually cracked someone's torso open? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think God. I think so. That's insane. That. How much would you have to do to crack someone's body open like that? Your wife's a nurse. Ask her. <laughs> I feel like it would take my wife like one thousand presses before my body would give way. Yeah, like the medical viability, I don't, I don't know of like all the blood and stuff like that. I don't know. Like, I mean, it was on her hands. Many, yeah. Yeah. Like, how many? Look, I'm huge. There's no way I couldn't almost kill someone giving them CPR. Well, yeah, me and you yeah. are like almost 300 pound people. Mod weighs like a buck ten. Like, just the physics. Like, I could just fall off my couch and crack someone's body. Not without the. But, Not along with the power of the Lord, sir. She's pushing at least three. That's true. There. The power. Of the, she's pushing out demons. But this gets to my point. Do you think in that moment, because we see at the end, right, when she takes blood again, she sees a shift and she thinks she's actually not fighting a human. Do you think this was an accident? She's just overworked. Or was this the first mental crack on her mm. holy journey? <laughs> Wordplay. Mm. <laughs> That's a good question. Was this yeah. the first, I'm fighting a demon? Let me add one more piece of evidence onto you. Whose Do voice it. does she keep hearing, right? When Amanda uh, goes bulbous head and fucking, you know, Jedi mind tricks her across the room, right? She gets up and she has a voice that is no longer Amanda's. It sounds more like a masculine voice to me, right? Like a demonic voice mm -hmm. there's also the scene where she's talking to white philip i guess the angel philip right before mm -hmm. also that kind of deep husky timber right is that the voice of the first victim what who is she hearing in these moments i don't know maybe this is all tied together i read it as <clears throat> voice coming out of amanda was demonic mm -hmm. and the voice she hears in her room is the voice of god same see i thought but maybe i would say those it's two her hallucination of the voice of god right yeah because that's it when she is 
because that's a weird scene too. She starts seeing the fireworks. She's throwing up, right? She's getting rid of her sin, as it were. Does she levitate before or after she hears the voices? I don't know that it's like a big difference, right? It's kind of all in the same. Uh, yeah, but, I don't remember. But here's I the weird one, after, right? She sees remember. the bug, maybe the same bug from those two scenes, crawling towards her altar, right? And then there is a shimmering effect across the entire altar as if something is there invisible or it's like a ripple in reality, right? Before right. she it's hears like White Philip. from the Almighty. Yeah, right? <laughs> and that scene, oh, man. Because uh, that one is insane because that's right when she's starting to ask, right? I feel like I'm jumping now because this is when all the crazy shit happens. So before that, she's kind of like, I got to get back in this house. She meets the nurse who's replaced her. And she seemingly decides she's a good person and runs back to her apartment. This is the last grasp of sanity, right? And she's just doing the, hey, Am I getting this wrong? Boom. Right? This is when all of these things start falling into place. Right? Am I getting it wrong? And then it's she hears the the reaffirmation. I'm not all the way sure why in that moment. She actually reaffirms. Right? So she's been fired. There's another nurse who she seemingly lets off the hook. And she goes and gets drunk and all this. And then she just redoubles down on the mission. Hearing the actual voice of God. It feels like an odd moment. Is it just that she can't survive anymore without this delusion? Perhaps. Yeah. I mean, there's... I can't I can't argue against it, honestly. Like, to me, like... She said, I have sense. the lines here. I was looking for them, right? It says, um, you've known for a long time this world was just a game. Uh, take this last test and we will truly be together. Um, I think that's all the, the important parts of it, right? That's kind of the gist, right? You've known this is a game. You have passed the test. You've been good, right? That feels very much like something she's saying to herself, right? I was going to say, that sounds like that's definitely her. Like, to me, it's just, it reads like, like an, like a, like a, like a person who, I don't know. Actually, I, I've lost my train of thought for that metaphor. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's well, and it, and it happens too when Amanda, as the demon, is talking to her, and it, it sounds like the inner monologue of someone who's being self-critical. Oh, who's saying, uh, faith isn't yeah, okay, enough. You're just yeah. afraid to be alone. Well, you know, it's the kind of thing that your yeah. inner voice would tell you when you have low self-esteem or when you're being hard on yourself, and she hears it as the demon voice. She's experimented with going back to the bar, letting loose, going back to the old way of doing things that didn't work out. She's now been fired, so that didn't work out. And I, yeah, I think it's like the voice of God, which is really her inner voice telling her like, well, it's final solution time. Right. It's time, it's time to ascend because this world can't hold anything for you. You're ready for the, the next level or whatever. Because that's what she wants to believe. That she's yeah, ending her think, time here yeah. to have this great reward in heaven. Well, I think that's kind of the long game of all people, right? It's just scarier when you realize, like, oh, fuck, I think they really believe this. Like, I think all my relatives <laughs> well, she's gonna make think it that's true, but they don't actively do anything to like, right. help their case. Well, that's like, but I mean... Let me ask you be... this, though, right? So, Alex, if Amanda 
doesn't mock her, is she still getting scissored? Yes. That's going to go down no matter what. It's going to happen no matter what because at some point her very existence mocks her. She's literally inches from death. Like to me, it's, it's, it's someone who literally is inches from that moment in your life where you have to come to grips with the fact that whatever you truly, whatever you believe in, however you feel about it, you will not be one. You'll either, you will not be one with existence anymore at some point. So for, so from Maud's perspective, for her to openly, for her to just sort of openly flaunt the fact that she's going to die is a mockery of God in and of itself, not to absolve her, like not to, not to pray, not to do all these things that Maud believes cleanses your soul, cleanses your palate before you decide to ascend. Those are all the things that make Amanda awful to Maud. So Maud tries to save her. She doesn't, it doesn't matter if she wasn't going to get mocked or not. She was already mocking Maud. And then, of course, she fucking lays she lays the hammer. To, I knew it, too. During that fucking opening scene when she, like, shares in that moment, I'm like, you bitch, I know what's I going on. I said that, too. I was like, And fuck. she fucking, and then she fucking laid it on her in the end. I'm like, oh, I knew it. Maud, well, that is idiot. Because Maud lies about who she is and why she left her job. And then they lock fingers and have a god orgasm. And you're like, this is not going to go up. But this is what I mean. <laughs> Tell me this is not a fucking scary movie. Because when Amanda, I think her exact line is, Snap out of it, honey. And she's like, he's not real. And I think she says, there's nothing more dull than dying. That she only faked a godgasm with her because she was just so fucking bored. Yeah. Right? And then Maud yeah. in her brain is probably like, I saw your books. You had everything that I could have had before I died on that table, too. And there's just this seething hatred. But every single line, right? Because I feel like maybe you remember better, Carmelita. But Amanda has like five lines, right? He's not there. There's no one. Every time she says another line, you're just like, stop. I was like Molly Ringwald in Breakfast yeah. Club to Judd Nelson. Stop. Because <laughs> you're just like, this is not going to go well at all. Yeah. You're you're pushing the wrong one. <laughs> yeah. She didn't put on her nicest bed sheet to come over here and get mocked. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like she's ready for war. Oh, dude. That scene scared yeah. the shit out of me. Yeah. Before you got to the scary. other stuff. How how did you feel about because again this is another weird thing I read uh, a friend of mine who I think listens to the show regularly said that he was really let down by the third act and I find that really what confusing because is... I was like the, the battle lines are pretty much set right when it's religious fanatic and woman who mocks that right like the lines are drawn pretty fucking clear. Uh, did you think the way that uh, we hit our conclusion with Maud and Amanda was satisfactory to you? Yeah, I mean, it felt like the natural progression. Yeah, to me, uh, I, I'm curious what other people expected from a third act like the, like of like this movie. This movie is like, well, yeah, it made me scared that like she was gonna go back to the house all robed up with her scissors and acetate yeah, this isn't the and like void. she had already like, died it's a or something movie. like i yeah. don't know what people expect like that's the thing is like people expect with movies like this and someone who's devout of any kind people expect shit like the void and stuff like that and to me that's not what this movie like this movie is a character study about what it is to be 
what it is to be devout, but not devout in not devout in the way that's intended, like to be caught up with your own devoutness. That's what the that's the true terror of this movie is to be so caught up in your own beliefs, your own guilt, your own devoutness that it all it corrupts you from the inside out, which is why she hears voices, why she sees spirals and why she ultimately does what she does. That's what this movie is about. And I have absolutely no idea how you get a satisfactory ending that I don't know. I don't know what else they could have done with the third act of this movie other than exactly what they did. It was the logical conclusion. I was actually pissed that Amanda, like she got fired. I'm like, okay, why the fuck are we hiring Jennifer L for this movie? If she's literally not going to be in the rest of it. And then it was like, right. Was there not a moment where you're like, she's done. Like, yeah, I'm like, what's what the, the rest of this movie now? Like, what is the what? rest of this movie? Yeah, I was so baffled by that moment, right? <laughs> uh, but Carmelita, so walk me through, right? So they have their showdown. Amanda gets her mm-hmm. digs in. She kind of says what we all want to say, right? Hey, yeah. I think it's one of those funny things, right? The only people that hear voices are the ones that actually think they're God, right? Not that like just really believe in God, right? And Amanda just lays into her. And it's probably the first moment in the film where... You're like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm on your side all the way. Cause he, I mean, I guess you would say she's pretty re- more relatable than I think you th- imagine at the start of the film. She's, you know, fucking dying, man. She's going to be grumpy. But she yeah. plays it fair. You know what I mean? Uh, did you find the little turn, right, into the uh, possessed Amanda, real or imagined? Did you find that a nice addition to the scene? I loved it. Same. Oh, good. Okay. I loved it. And I'm <laughs> I was like tell screaming in happiness. <laughs> I feel like, you know, Maude is, has so far retreated into this delusion that she's in. She can't let anything threaten that. Yeah. And Amanda voicing these doubts, voicing, um, you know, this criticism of, of the way Maud is approaching her life. Maud can't handle that. Maud's mm. way too deep. She's like, I'm white Philip now. Stop. Yeah, she can't take it. So she had like, it's like a defense mechanism. Yeah. And so, of course, Amanda isn't just a middle aged dying woman on a bed confronting her. No, it has to be demonic. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, Carmelita, because this is kind of the interesting way the scene ends is the way she perceives herself to get thrown across the room. Right. She's so take the vipers with what you just said about my my lifestyle and my religion. How dare you, ma'am? Do you think because there's a really beautiful shot when she's leaving the house, right? She's again, her hands are covered in blood like we saw at the start. Again, she sees whatever the fuck that is. Again, I can't tell if it's a beetle or water because there's no lights in the house. Right. Although, if you're going to commit a murder, don't turn the lights on. So that's just good cinema verite. Yeah, right? So whatever she fucking sees. And then Maude floats out of the front door, right? Starting to laugh a little bit. So I have a twofold question, right? Do you think that in that moment, the laugh is false? Because Amanda now is kind of proven her point, right? When she viciously lashes out with her with scissors... Is that saving her soul, even if she thinks the demon's in there? Is that the ritualized ending she had hoped for, right? Did Amanda kind of win at the end? 
Is that a moment of triumph for Maud in her mind or not to you? I guess is my for question. For Maud, yes. See, I wonder she's about ban- that. She's vanquished the evil. She's yeah, released Amanda. From so then you evil. think maybe that opening scene was on purpose then. If she saw the same thing in the ceiling above. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Just to get back to that. But anyways, I'll, yeah. So finish your thoughts. So you think that Maud walks out of that room assuming she has mission accomplished, saved the soul. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's fucking horrible. And, and, it, and it sets her up for what she does the next day. She's now ready to ascend. Yeah. I got to say too, that final scene is so much better than I assumed the last bit of this movie was going to be. Alex, walk me through. So our last scene is on the beach, right? Uh, One of the things I like about the journey to the beach is just how she's walking. And just, again, she's just saved a soul. She's transformed. No one seems to give a fuck until she dumps that shit on her head. And then it gets a little surreal. What do you make of this final scene, Alex? What did you take away from this? I mean, it's literally what we've been debating this entire episode, which is what's real, what's not. I mean, Again, though, I, tell me that wouldn't be the scariest fucking day of your life if that happened in front of oh, you. Oh, hell fucking yeah. If a, if, if, a, if a woman did that, anybody, it doesn't have to be a woman. If literally anyone did that in front of me, I'd be like, I'm never going to bed again. That was horrifying. Yeah. I, oh, I yeah, literally anyone. Anyone yeah. did that. Anyone can do that. But, like, I like the – she says glory to God, does the whole thing. And I love, though, how she's like this because it's – it goes back to this, like, awesome, like, the beautiful and the profane where she thinks that this is this – this is the canonizing moment for St. Maud. This is her moment. This is, but see, that's where the, that's where the fallacy is, is that any saint that was martyred, so to speak, they didn't self martyr themselves. You, it's literally not what martyrs are. It's by definition, not martyrdom. (laughs) So to do that to yourself is a against, I'm assuming Roman Catholicism is what she follows. It's a cardinal sin. It's a cardinal sin. Like, She's now for sure not getting into heaven. She is not a saint of any kind. And then we see what's really going on. Like her feeling one way or another about it is, is immaterial when the reality is that she's literally just screaming on a boardwalk as it happens. Like that to me is the, I'm sorry. It's a mortal sin. Either way. How dare you? That is a cardinal sin of the film alchemist. Disappointed. We are wow. the most factually accurate. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Get my yeah. Well, I forgot too because I think that moment is beautiful because I had forgotten that she goes to her apartment and sees her angel wings, correct? Yep. Yes. So she obviously thinks she's done well, or maybe that's just the all the way break now that she fucked up and right. scissored Amanda to death. Maybe that's her starting to do this. Because the thing I liked about the ending, right? Because I saw that she dumps everything on her. You're like, I fucking, here we go. I knew this was coming. I knew this was coming. And everyone starts being like, oh, shit, call the cops. I hear a couple people rushing. The shot that just fucking sold me, though, is when they turn around and everyone's just staring at her. Fucking frozen like pod people. And then they all kneel before her as she starts, you know, a little bit lighting up. And she has this very saintly smile. I thought that was, I mean, it looked like a William Blake painting, right? I thought yeah. that just fucking sold it to me. Because the, the one thing I thought, because there's that extra scene where my wife literally just went, oh, my God. 
Was that just half a second of her just burning in agony screaming, right? Yeah, it's effective, though. It's an oh effective my God. 30 seconds. It's a fucking hammer because to Alex's point, right, we talked about this a little earlier. In that moment is probably the truest emotion we see from her in the whole film. That is the moment where she is the most whole and complete and in herself, right? It's just this burning away of this physical that has become so fucking atrocious, right? Because she tries to kneel down on the pebbles or whatnot. She yeah. tries to burn herself on the, the stove. She has the tacks in her shoes, which is horrifying. And you see little bits of smile, right, as she does Oh, my it. God. Sorry, to the me, sound that effects lets you know, when she's oh, walking with the tacks in her shoes. That was brutal. But that's what I mean, right? That Sorry, makes it play. Insert, keep going. It plays false to me, right? She's smiling because she knows that she's doing something more than all these other plebs on the street, right? She's better than them. And so, but that one moment of her actually on fire, that felt, for some reason, I just got like this fucking just cold, hard truth of the movie in that moment, right? And right. it was such a fucking just horrifying final moment. Yeah. Right. For this late, it, it it really, it it fucking unsettled me. You know, it really, because a lot I mean, of it, like, there's the scene when, like, her, her hurting herself, right? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I just love it when I see a crispy-ass person. No. I so love it when a person immolates themselves herself, on the boardwalk. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, the other scene that I was like, that kind of feels true to her, at least, is when she freaks out in the bar. Right before she goes home with Alex's stunt double. And she... <laughs> Try Griffey's. How dare you? He was much more of an Alex. Never mind. That's listen, either listen. let's just say he's a film alchemist listener. That's yeah, it. Right? Sure. Listeners, but... you can hit us up on Twitter and <laughs> It's Alex. It's Alex for sure. But no, but so she sees that moment, right? Where she sees the lady like licking her fingers, right? She sees the men glaring. Uh, you know, she's getting touched. It's all these, the physical world is attacking me, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that feels, it's shot very surreal, but it feels like a moment of truth, right? But then by the end, you're like, no, all that was nonsense, man. That was the moment. Like, that was yeah. ah, the harsh reality of this movie is about a, a woman through, who knows, man? Just, it's it's hard. I think it's hard to be alive, man. I think it's something people used to ignore. It's like, shut up, work harder, don't be a bitch. Don't be a pussy, you know, whatever they used to say, right? And like our parents' generation. I think a lot of us now, and maybe a lot of us this year, maybe having to wait through 2020 was the best thing that could have happened to St. Maud. So I think a lot of us just are like, yeah, man, I get being at the fucking absolute brink and just praying that an answer will fall from the sky and that I do matter more than I feel like I do, especially this year. And so through whatever means – she just broke, man, and she can't exist in our reality anymore. That scene in the bar is her, I can't be around you monsters anymore. Like, I can't. Yeah. And, you know, whether she's the monster or they're, mo like, we're all monsters. I don't know how I fall on that, but she definitely does monstrous things. Um, but I think just that that journey of someone who all the way breaks down and then will do anything to try to right the ship, as weird as that sounds. It's just an unsettling fucking movie. And the performances are yeah. stunning, man. I, I, The music was great. Lighting F. But everything else, I just, I was fucking blown away by this movie, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I think at 83 minutes, we're rarely entertained this level. And 
I mean, like, again, this this is a great movie that this is a great movie for not only the craft of the movie itself, but it also proves that you don't need two hours to tell this do this kind of storytelling. This level of storytelling telling this layered doesn't need two hours to marinate. All you need is a well-purposed character and a well-purposed uh, antagonist, well-purposed protagonist, and to get to it. And that is, I think, the power of this movie is that you're drawn in almost, you're drawn in immediately. There is no almost. It's immediately you are intrigued, not just because you can't see anything and you're going to spend the rest of the movie squinting, but because... <laughs> It is that good of a movie. It, you are compelled to watch this person, whether you agree with them or not. You're compelled to watch someone who yeah. would have, again, I, I cannot tell you how engaged I was the moment she literally has like central perk coffee talk with God while she's like getting ready to take her new job. Like, wow. Sorry. Or Cafe Nervosa. Sorry, Griffin and I are uh, Frasier guys. So. The audacity of Maud. The audacity of Maud hits you right away. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Carmelita, final thoughts on this film. What are you going to take away and remember from this film? Mm, I, you know, I just, I love that we take this journey with Maud and kind of all the points along the way where you're like, it's kind of interesting how Maude is trying to get through to other people and the whole movie, like I keep hoping against hope that someone can get through to Maude. And it's, it's just like this, this journey. Oh man. And I'm like watching Maude like stumble towards this terrible destiny, but it's gorgeous to watch. And it's, it's poetic and it's unsettling it's all of those things. And I think with this movie, there's just so much detail. This is a film that I'm going to love watching again. Yes, I absolutely agree. All the little things, all the subtleties. Well, just imagine how this movie will grow with you too. Like we're watching this right now in a pandemic and lockdowns and winter, whatever. Imagine like everything's back to normal and it's sunny and you go to a bar and you're like looking around at everyone like, ah, 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 right? Like you're like, this movie has a whole nother I just I I think to Alex's point too, keeping it short, we don't need to know her whole backstory, right? Yeah. We don't need to see every detail. And I think there's just something about the way this film is oozing and overflowing out of my TV with that gloom and dread. I don't know that you can do that if you add another 30 or 40 minutes. But yeah, I just I think it's just except for the lighting department, such an exceptionally <laughs> crafted film. And it just it works on every level except for the lighting department. Uh, it is Amazing. It's it really was and honestly I feel bad. I don't want people to shit on it for not being enough of a horror movie or for having to wait so long to find I thought it was absolutely worth the wait. Yeah. That in and of itself is like a two hour long podcast, by the way. Yeah. So Yeah, we, we do a lot of that because we do horror and people I've had people message a show and be like, You guys really aren't a horror podcast. You shouldn't talk about horror. I'm like Fucker, we do as many horror movies in almost a month as most people do on their entire yes, podcast. Thank so fuck you. you. We did Halloween. <laughs> but anywho. The whole month, every single yes. day. Thank you. And then, yeah, me and Alex are almost about to scissor each other to death, and we, we move on to other movies. stop saying it that way. They know what I mean. Saying. Cut it out, Alex. Cut it out. I've got to do an outro. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, please take a second. Leave a rating and review. Uh, please subscribe to the YouTube Film Alchemist. Email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. 
You can find us wherever you are on social media. Carmelita, would you like to tell everyone Thank where they you, can find Carmelita. you? Yay! Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, always on Twitter. Also letterboxed, same handle, Carmelita says. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll have that in the show description, guys. Uh, join the fun. Carmelita, you are one of our favorites for sure. Thank you so much for one your of the time best. and insights. No, you guys are my favorite. So thank you for having me back. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll be back uh, with more Inhuman Love. All right. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>